Jordan Peterson has become quite famous over the last few years, and he speaks quite a bit about the Bible. How useful is his Christless Christianity? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. In 2016, a, a pretty liberal psychology professor from Canada kind of made the news because he refused or he was speaking out against Canada requiring people to use the pronouns that people themselves said. So if you said my pronouns are they, he was saying the government shouldn't force you to do that. So this is Jordan Peterson that I'm talking about. And he said that if somebody asked him that he would do it, but he was just opposed to the government. And from that, in him standing up in Canada, in a pretty, and he is pretty liberal, or he was, he seems to have shifted some. But from that, he ends up becoming very much a cultural icon. And so there's a lot of people that listen to him and watch him. And it's interesting because he, he takes those things, and from that, he's developed this platform where he's speaking to a lot of men, and a lot of men say that the things that he teaches are very helpful and very useful. And now he's doing a Bible study on Exodus and going through that and talking about how things from the Bible are useful for people to understand. But at the same time, he rejects Christ, and he rejects the idea that God is the center of all things. So how useful is this kind of Christianity? And I think it's something that, you know, the people he's speaking to, I mean, there's a lot of non-Christians, but there are a lot of uh, professing Christians, even probably people in the church of, if, if you're not a fan of him, then probably someone in your church is, um, because, you know, he's really, uh, you know, taken off in the conservative uh, type, you know, media, me, media, media sphere, whatever the word is. Um, but, and, 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 you know, I think, you know, as we go through it, we're going to identify some positives of that, but definitely some negatives, because um, although some of the stuff he says is true and is, you know, even helpful, yet he is missing some fundamental things, and his philosophy of the world is a lot different than than what the Bible teaches. And, you know, Jesus Christ on the Sermon on the Mount said that when you build a house, you build it on the rock, and the rock is being obedience to the commandments of God, the things that Christ said, versus on the sand is where you're not obeying Christ. And so he's building a house without really having a sound foundation. And at the same time, there are things that he's pointing people towards that are still that are like Josh was saying they're they're useful. And, and it's not even so much tonight that we'll say some things are what things are useful and what things there are some positives and negatives. It's that there are things he's saying that are useful and they're useful in a really specific context and they're absolutely useless in another context. You know what I mean? And so I mean it's 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 not even just like this trade off between things. It's there's an area in which if you're if if you're sitting there in your life and your life is in shambles because in the end your life is not ordered, your life is not structured, and God is a God of order, God is a God of structure, God has designed things to work in a way, there are things that he says that align with God's order. And so if you start doing those things, it will improve your life. It will make aspects of your life better, but it won't do anything for salvation. And you compare that to, you know, like one of the most famous pastors, quote unquote, I put that in quotes because it needs to be in quotes, Joel Osteen. And I would say Jordan Peterson and the things that he teaches are more useful than God has a wonderful plan for your life. Live your best life now. I mean, Jordan Peterson is saying those things, but he's saying it with more biblical based ideas than some of the famous pastors in this country. The things that Joel Osteen said, says are very useful for Joel Osteen's career. 
You know, I mean, the things that Joel and Osteen, the things that Jordan Peterson says well, are very useful but, for Jordan but, Peterson's but, but career. But what I mean too. is, is Joel Osteen thinks the things he says are almost exclusively useful for Joel Osteen's career. Jordan Peterson actually seems to have an interest in helping people. I mean, he actually seems to have a. He actually, I don't know that Joel Osteen has any interest in helping anyone but himself. And the things he says are really about how to make himself famous. Jordan Peterson is famous, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure his driving influence in life is to become famous. I'd say he doesn't mind becoming famous, and I think he might not like some of the stress that comes with it. But I think he actually does enjoy helping people, and that doesn't make him doesn't make him a Christian. It doesn't make him a saint. But in the end, I mean, there are some. He seems to have an even good motivation for what he's trying to do. If you open up your New Testament and you look at the cast of characters there, Joel Osteen, I mean, he's he's very clearly a false teacher. He's somebody who's leading away the flock of God. Jordan Peterson, he's one of these guys at Mars Hill, you know, who's sitting there telling and hearing something new, interested in the, the intellectual conversations of the day, and probably the kind of guy who would have listened to Paul. But from there, you know, there are limitations if that's all you've got. And the only reason why Jordan Peterson would be leading someone away from the church is more likely because the church isn't doing its job of actually, because the church should have better answers than Jordan Peterson. The church should be doing a better job of explaining the world than Jordan Peterson. I'm not, I don't think he's primarily trying to draw people away from Christianity. I don't think that's his, but he, there may be people who he is doing that with. And I'm not trying to say the church should be careful with him. The church, I mean, there's a real issue that the church is looking at him and going, he's better than the church. I mean, and that's something as, as yeah, we go through the night right. that we'll talk about. And, and you look at who are the leading uh, conservative voices that Christians are listening to. Ben Shapiro, a Jew. Jordan Peterson, not any type of Christian we would recognize as a Christian. Um you know, there's like Dennis Prager, another Jew. another Jew, you know, there's Catholics. I mean, where's the, you know, leading solid Protestants? Because you know, a lot of the stuff they're saying are not even stuff that I mean, Protestants could say those same things. But, you know, they're just not right. I do think that we need to as we consider Jordan Peterson, we should think of Jordan Peterson as somebody that God raised up as a rebuke to the church. Right. That's how I view Jordan Peterson is that that it is a terrible shame that he is the one that's advocating for these things and remember he's very liberal and he has he has changed in some ways but not in a lot of ways right homosexuality transsexualism i mean he's he's concerned about the way it's the being way it's handled. being handled but he's not concerned to say there's a moral issue here he says that's evil to say that there's a moral standard though so, i mean he's liberal by the bible standards but that's i mean that's the conservative position now pretty much on most of that those things is that you know there's not really a moral problem with you know adults wanting to change genders but he would definitely i mean you look from videos from six years ago and he would unquestionably identify himself as somebody who was a liberal right i mean and, so, and, and with him joining daily wire there's going to be a sense in which he is going to be marketed as more conservative i mean and he's and, and he's appealing to his audience right so i mean but but your fundamental point here is not that long ago, he would be he would be liberal in the same way that um, I'll blast it. What's her name? He would be liberal in the same way that J.K. Rowling is liberal. I mean, where now people are looking at her, going, "She's defending conservative principles," and all she's saying is, "Is you shouldn't be for you shouldn't be pushing people to have these surgeries. You shouldn't be forcing this on people. This should be something, and you shouldn't be saying that a woman who hasn't had surgery, you know, is the same as a woman who has had surgery. I mean, you, you know, as a man who's had surgery. Sorry. So, I mean, one of the main points to make with Jordan Peterson is 
he is not preaching a gospel that saves. And it's really important to understand that. Because if you take Christ out of Christianity, there is no salvation. If you take God and just make God this this idea that we should have meaning in our life and there's purpose and that the world's going someplace, that that's not the gospel. And there is no hope in there. There's only just disaster in the end. Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that is completely contrary to what Jordan Peterson has expressed, is that the, you know, there is usefulness to meaning, there's usefulness to having a purpose, there's this pragmatic view of the world, but there is no God that is controlling things. And this is, we're not going to dissect a bunch of comments from him or anything, you know, but I, you know, I think he might say that he believes in God. He may even say he's a Christian, but he's not any type of Christian that we would recognize. You know, even the most liberal Christian out there, he's probably more liberal than someone who actually even goes to a church. You know, I mean, he says... You know, he might believe in God, but it's more of, you know, he says things like the Bible is more true than true because they're just myths that people have collected. And that's, you know, they're just, you know, they're just people have figured out this is the way the world works. And so that's the Bible is the manifestation of that. Well, that actually means that the Bible is a lie and but that there's some fundamental meaning. But everything it actually says isn't true. It's just the, the higher level of meaning and that, you know. That he maybe talks about God, but he all you know the, the experience of God, the experience of psychedelic drugs, pretty much the same thing. You know, either one of those is some sort of religious experience. So it's just very contrary to anything that's you know any sort of orthodox Christianity. And I mean, I think it's also you know not to beat up a man who has suffered, but the reality is is that it's pretty useful, useless for him personally too. I mean, since these things have come out, since he got famous, he's had, you know, psychiatric incidents, you know, and it's tied to taking off antidepressants and other things. But clearly, it's not solving the problems in his life. And so even though I do think he finds real pleasure in helping other people, but there's only a certain, it doesn't actually solve his fundamental problems. So the gospel that he's preaching is not a gospel that solves people's problems. It helps them. It can make their life more pleasant. You know, your best life now, that's why I compared him to Joe Osteen, is right. because he actually is more successful at saying that than Joel Osteen is. Right. But in the end, it still might tweak things to improve things, but it's not fundamentally changing. And we, we need to be born again. That's what man needs, not just a way to have meaning in a meaningless life. And it's important to understand also how he looks at the world. He's an evolutionary psychologist, meaning that everything that evolved in the way that we think about things all came from evolution, that that's what drives everything. So he's not saying that there's a, a God that exists that puts these principles in. It's that, that man has just evolved because these are the principles that work. He does believe that there's probably some form of like some form of a capital T truth that exists. And because that truth exists, Things have been ordered according to that truth. And that's like what Joshua was saying. When he sees the Bible, he doesn't see the Bible as the source of that truth. He sees the Bible as that it's been this consolidation of truths that have been found along the way. He would specifically use the term the evolution of those things, not just the collection right. of those things. That these things have evolved so that we have this this international myth that we all accept because, you know, he uses the term true myth. 
that yes, it's false, but from there, there's underlying truths that are bigger than the words. So the words are lies, but from them come truth. And he would use true myth in a very different way, I think, than like C.S. Lewis used it. C.S. Lewis was using it, and I'm not advocating even C.S. Lewis, but the issue is, is he's using language that people have heard enough, you know, I mean, there's this part of it where people hear it and they go, he believes the same thing I do. I mean, I even, in the, when you were doing the intro and you were saying that he rejects Christ, there's this part of where I think there are probably people who've listened to his videos who would go, he doesn't reject Christ. But the point we're making is, is if he does. you say Christ <laughs> is not God, he is not the God of all things. He is not the, you know, he was not existent, you know, throughout, you know, before anything, he has not always existed. He is not God. Then there isn't, then it's not Christianity. It's not anything that we're talking about. You can't remove that and still have Christianity. And so it's really important because people are so, they're so desirous of having someone say things that sound Christian and that are useful that they're willing to sell Christianity for it. And let's make sure, let's just be really clear what that means. We want the world to love us, or those group of people do. In the Bible, Jesus Christ specifically says, if the world hated me, it will hate you. And they're going, but we want the world to love us. We want to find somebody so we can say the world loves us because they love Jordan Peterson. He must be. And it's like, that's completely the opposite of the real Christ. And that's why I say that he preaches very much a Christless Christianity. And you, you look at his uh, list of, of books. Here's the best books that everyone should read. And it's a bunch of like psychology, like Freud. You know, a bunch of stuff like that. People who hated God and were trying to figure out a way to um, to interpret the world without God. And so Jordan Peterson has then taken their ideas and applied them back to the scriptures. But actually, the scripture's not that bad. You know, here's a bunch of stuff we can learn from it. But he is taking this other worldview and applying it to the Bible and, you know, just picking out the parts that he can find something you know, that, that he likes from it and not actually taking it as truth. And he's doing what a lot of the church has done. I mean, you know, I mean, as Josh was saying, I mean, how much, I mean, when you go into churches, you can read passages that the church goes, well, I mean, that's not true anymore. That, that you know, I mean, you can look, you can read parts, sections in God's law where a lot of people and a lot of churches will go, well, that's the Old Testament. That's not really true anymore. Whereas Jesus Christ says, no, if, you know, is not the a law jot or a tittle will pass from the law. Yeah. Is the law against the promises of God? Absolutely not. I mean, where Paul, I mean, and so there's this part of it where, He's not doing something that's fundamentally different than a lot of people who identify themselves as Christians are doing and have done. And this is why all of your mainline denominations are dying. Is they praise God? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, they're dying because they deny the historicity of Scripture, among right. other things. But that's a fundamental one: is none of these things are actually true. And this is something it starts, you know, in the 1850s and it's worked its way out through the early 20th century, where basically it's like, okay, well, none of this actually happened. Jesus didn't actually live and die on the earth. There was no actual virgin birth, none of these things. But the morals there are deep and meaningful. And so, you know, this is kind of your Norman Vincent Peale sort of ideal and approach to scripture. Um, and he's just doing the same thing that the church tried 150 years ago. He's a good Methodist, basically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's basically what he is, a good Methodist, which doesn't mean he's a Christian <laughs> because Methodism <laughs> believes that it's by doing certain things and doing good public works. This is how you find salvation rather than you find salvation by trusting and believing in God. And so it's a very different religion, and it's important for people to recognize that he's preaching a very different religion than what the Bible teaches. So I was reading a commentary on a talk that somebody went to in Australia. 
he was doing a talk and he mentioned some things in Genesis. And he specifically is talking when Abraham leaves Ur. And he goes, you know, you ignore the God part there. And this is, this is what men need. Men need an adventure. They need to be able to be willing to leave their current life so that that's how they find a better life. That's how they find success. That's how they find meaning to their life. And he describes the passage about Abraham and he completely rejects the idea that God told him to leave. And that's Jordan Peterson's interpretation of Scripture. He removes God from it as he interprets it. I mean, you get to Hebrews. That's the whole point. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you look back that the whole point of it was that God told Abraham to leave and that Abraham followed after God, right? I mean, so, right. I mean he's abandoning the thing that Scripture absolutely cares about. Because he makes a very man-centered gospel. It's all about man. It's all about and he, it's somewhat confusing because sometimes it's about man, sometimes it's about mankind, meaning the collective versus the individual. But at the same time, it's always human focus because he's an evolutionary psychologist. That's how he thinks about the world. So after we've figured out that he's not a Christian, is there anything good about him? I mean, one thing I think that he really does is he does point out some some blatant unrighteousness in our society, some blatant things that as a culture that we do and that we push people towards that, you know, we did recently a podcast on, you know, men, you know, without work, that there's a bunch of men that aren't working. And Jordan Peterson goes, that's death. And that's true, right? right? And so there's these these gross things that he's pointing out and saying, this is unrighteousness that our society accepts. There's a lot that he doesn't point out that he should. But there are definitely things that he points out that the church should be saying these things, and the church isn't. But yeah. he is. I, yeah, you know, he addresses issues um, that you know some some churches, you know, are are not willing to condemn, and will even if they do actually condemn them, kind of, they do not want to say that publicly. Especially, and some of his, you know, P Peterson's viral moments were when he's, you know, done like a pretty long interview with like some. You know, like a hostile interviewer from the from the media, and it's just answered them, and even you know come back at them, and and those are interviews that it's hard to find people who would give those interviews. I mean, they even have the skills to you know think on their feet like that. You know, you either have you know Christians who don't want to make anyone feel bad, and so they won't call sins in, or you also have people who would say, "I believe it because that's what God says," which is good, in as far as it goes, but they don't have a fuller answer. Um, and so that that's some of the attraction of him is he is able to, you know, give coherent answers. Some of them don't make much sense and are have holes in them, but he is able to present compelling arguments. And he, because he has embraced for a long time a lot of those positions, he does understand the flaws in them, and he he will viciously go after those flaws at times, which the church is hasn't been doing. I mean, it hasn't been speaking. It doesn't think that we, it's just cowering in the corner trying to not get beat up. And, and you know, to be fair to, you know, some people, you know, the, another reason. <laughs> you don't want to be fair to everybody, just some just people. Some people. <laughs> okay, I want to be definitely not fair to everyone. No, but I mean, but, the, you know, there are people out there who could give good answers. And, but why is Jordan Peterson popular? Because he's not a Christian. And so the media is more receptive to hearing from him because he doesn't confront their all their sins he might poke at a few of them but he's not he's not offensive as christians would be and so i mean that is one reason why he's popular not just because christians don't have an answer that's definitely part of it but he is also not offensive to, to the same level 
I mean, another reason as well is is because there is a part of it where we, you know, in our one of the aspects of criticism of Jordan Peterson, we're saying he's preaching a Christless gospel. And at the same time, there's a part of it where there really is a part of it where the church frequently doesn't, they don't think that, that Christianity should change the world apart from salvation. Right. And and so there is this aspect of it where, I mean, in, in the end, I mean, one of the things that's really appealing about him, and I think we've said this, but I mean, that it's even appealing to Christians because there are Christians who are sitting in the pew and they're going, they, you know, they have their eye on their eternal home. They have their, you know, God's going to, you know, and he's going to take me home and, and heaven, you know, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. But there's a lot of verses about, no, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. And that, you know, that, I mean, that. Put on the armor of God. <laughs> right. I mean, I still remember one of the first videos I saw of him where a woman asked, you know, there's a reporter talking to him and she goes, why, why should your right to freedom of speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended? Because in order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. You know, like you're certainly willing to risk offending me in the pursuit of truth. Why should you have the right to do that? It's been rather uncomfortable. Well, I'm, I'm very glad I put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I'm very glad that I have well, you get my, my point. You get my point. It's like you're, you're doing what you should do, which is digging a bit to see what the hell's going on. So and that you, is what you should do. But uh, you're exercising you see, your freedom of speech to certainly risk offending me. And that's fine. I think more power to you as far as I'm concerned. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to work that out. I mean... Ha, gotcha. You have got me. You have got me. I'm trying to work that through my head. Incredibly satisfying. You know, I mean, there was this part of where, I mean, and he wasn't, he wasn't being mean to her. <laughs> he wasn't being evil to her. So there's this part of where Christians are going. That's like the most civil slam I've ever seen. It's somewhat where the, where the power of the truth, the truth is actually what was effective there. And that's, and, and all of a sudden, and so they sit in church and they talk about the truth and they talk about Jesus Christ being the truth. But then they but they don't, don't talk about power. truth. They just talk about truth without talking about. I mean, right? It's almost the true myth thing that he has with this idea that there's truth out there, and we talk about Jesus Christ being the truth, but we don't then go, wait a second, that means there's real power because he's the truth and he's God, right? And so truth has real power because he's God. The church kind of goes, well, he's truth in some emotional way, in some you know feel good kind of way, rather than actually. Truth has power because Jesus Christ is the truth. Right. Christianity, Jordan Peterson has a Christless Christianity, and the church often has a powerless Christianity. And I think there's a part of where people look at it and go, I, I want to see someone be able to walk into the world and affect things. If you, you know, you remember your story in the gospel, and Jesus comes and he's preaching to the crowds, and one of the things that's said about him is that people said that he spoke with authority and not as the scribes. Right. And that's one of the things that's making Peterson attractive is he comes into a conversation, he gets up onto a dais and has a public conversation with somebody, and he speaks with authority. He speaks like he actually means what he says, that he believes it, and isn't willing to back down. And and just having a spine in this day and age is enough to earn you some credibility. And that's and that's what he's got. And and an answer. A spine and an answer in places where the church should have a spine, the church should have an answer, and it has neither. And I do think that this ties back to, to you know, one one idea that's out there. Because he does go back to the Bible. But you know, when Jesus Christ, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when they said, you know, he, he speaks as one that has authority, remember in that sermon in Matthew 5, it says in 13 through 16, you are the soul of the earth. 
But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, put on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The things that Jordan Peterson does, a lot of them are simply the salt and light of the scriptures. He's going back and saying, well, this is what the scriptures teach, rejecting God, just rejecting, just embracing practice, saying the scriptures say, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. So therefore, this actually works, and he's actually shining forth light of the truth of God's commandments without, without going back to God which is really a rebuke on the church because we should be able to say not just those things, but also where they come from and why they're important and why they're true and why that, why the world's ordered that way. All he can say is the world's ordered that way because that's how it evolved because it's what worked as opposed to the world works that way because there is a God. And some of this is tied to even we've, we've done episodes about faith and reason and these things being tied together because there's a part of what you say Jordan Peterson is kind of like a pragmatic Christian in a sense, you know, I mean, like he, like you said, he's seen what he has seen what works. And there's this part of it where the church goes, we don't do things because of pragmatism. We do it because of faith. And I don't disagree with that in one sense that the motive is faith. But the answer is, is faith works. The things that we know by faith are pragmatic. I remember at a conference where there was a thousand people there or something and somebody a lot better known than me goes, you know, we not, we can't be pragmatic. We just have to walk by faith. And I went, you're putting two things at odds that are absolutely not at odds. The most pragmatic thing is to do what God commands because he's the one that gives the results. So don't sit here and say we shouldn't be pragmatic. We should just do what God says because you've already rejected the idea that that is the best thing. Right. Because that's what God says. He gives the best to his people, not the worst. Right. The most pragmatic thing is to obey God, even when it looks at it in the wisdom of man and the great brilliance of man goes, this isn't pragmatic. No, it is pragmatic. Obedience of, to God is always the most pragmatic thing. Right. Worldly pragmatism where it's wrong is when they take, they're taking shortcuts. They're taking things that they may get you through today, but they're going to cost you more tomorrow. And in the end, faith is saying that it's actually ordered so that you don't pay more tomorrow for what you did today. You actually do the work today so that in the end you have a better foundation, you have a better place tomorrow. So, I mean, this is, that's really what we're worrying against is worse ideas. You're really worrying against worse ideas. It's that they're calling them better ideas, and we're not actually attacking the fact that they're worse ideas. And when the church holds the view that everything's supposed to get worse and worse, we're just passing through this life, our citizenship's in heaven, we're supposed to keep our eyes fixed on the cross, not meaning, therefore, we're a slave of God and we do what God says, but meaning we just, we just have this dreamy life that we live, that we don't actually walk in obedience, right? We don't just... We're not just supposed to look towards eternal life. By looking towards eternal life, we're supposed to change how we live now. He who doesn't lay down his life and pick up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Looking at Christ doesn't mean that you don't go, well, I don't need to do anything. It means just the opposite, but that's what the church is teaching so often. And when it's teaching that, all of a sudden Jordan Peterson comes along and says principles that every Puritan I mean, some of the principles that he teaches, all the Puritans would have gone, obvious, this is just like some of the most basic stuff. They all petted cats. <laughs> well, that one's <laughs> stupid. But um, but a lot of the things that men go, oh, like men should lead. Men should be about something in their life. There's no Puritan that would go, that's an insane idea. They'd go, this is 
This no is like kidding. Christianity 101. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, he's now taking these things and expressing them because in a lot of ways the church stopped. I, that's exactly where I was going to go is, you know, he's written books where he's giving you these rules for life. And the church has worked so hard to back away from there being any such things as rules. That's called legalism. You've had this conversation with people before where mm -hmm. anybody who wants to say, oh, there's rules, there's things you ought to do, there's ways you ought to order your life. Oh, that's legalism. You know, this is a relationship, not a religion. You know, the, the, that's the kind of mantras that the church has adopted. And that opens up this vacuum for somebody to come in and say, no, there's rules. Now. Some of them he's making up. Other ones he's borrowing from Christianity. But he's saying there's rules that you should structure your life by. And there's a whole bunch of people who are hungry for rules. They're hungry for that kind of structure. So, you know, in a sense, you can't begrudge him his popularity because it was there. He's filling a void. And when you look at it, right, I mean, there are, some of his rules are kind of silly. But the ones that he talks about as being transformative are you should have a purpose in your life. I mean, this room. is. I mean, I mean, one of his. I mean, that's. I heard him say that. That's how it's. If you're a boy, right. Clean up your room. I mean, on one case he says have purpose in your life, and the other case he says get up and do something, right? Which is the clean up your room. Right. And so he's talking about like really basic ideas, but but the church isn't speaking of these things, but they are Christian ideas, right? I mean, we did an episode where we talked about how that that about discipline and how that it creates order and that order order just aligns everything. I mean, one of the biggest things that Christians have forgotten is that God is a God of order and that he actually orders the world and that order is based on God's authority. And there's, I mean, there's all these things. And in the end, like I said, Jordan Peterson's just on the, he's just touching a tiny, tiny part of it, but it's something that people in the world don't have. And so they're, they're, they're desperate to have it because in the end, they don't even have that little bit of understanding about God. In John 1, it says, Jesus Christ came into the world, and he, you know, the light came into the world, and he was light, and in him there was no darkness. And he says, that's the light that all men walk by. Right. But in Matthew 5, it says, you are the light of the world. So you have these two things that while Christ was here, I mean, the light was always from God. Now you have the church not shining forth light, so you have an unbeliever who's looking at the word of God and saying, here's light. There's this dimmed light that's coming out, but the world's so desperate for light because when you walk in darkness, you know, if you don't know where you're going and you're walking in darkness, which that's kind of what Jordan Peterson's saying to his audience of men. There's obviously somewhat of a mixed crowd there, but it's primarily men. And these men, because men in a lot of ways in our culture because we've distorted what it means to be a man, we've tried to make women masculine and to be leaders and to be all these things that are contrary to what the Scripture says God made them to be. And that, that you know, our culture is forcing all the men to go into darkness. He comes and he just gives a little bit of light. And all of a sudden people go, wow, I can see something now. I don't need to just keep tripping over everything because there's a lot of men in this society that have like zero light. So they have no purpose for their life. They're just sitting around killing themselves, not physically, but they're killing themselves because they don't do anything. They don't have any purpose. They don't have any direction. They have nothing because they have no light because the church isn't being light. It's being darkness. I'll play my cards here. If you come away from this podcast and think that our, that the real target of our podcast is Jordan Peterson, then you're missing it. Our, right. Jordan Peterson is an unbeliever who's doing the best he can and who played 
his moment of fame with some savvy and and went viral and and was able to sustain it and the reason that he was able to dis, to sustain what he is and what he does is because he's filling a void that the church has left our real target here is saying hey church the reason that jordan peterson exists and as just another self-help guru who has some popularity is because he's doing the things that you should have been doing and aren't. And I think it, you know, looking at him, the way the world is supposed to work is you have the Bible, you have the church that's supposed to read the Bible, and then the church is supposed to sign the light to the world. God is rebuking the church because he's having Jordan Peterson read the Bible because the church is useless. That should really cause people to be afraid. Luke 14, 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When the church is not being light, when it's not being salt, it's only good to be thrown out into the septic system. That's all it's good for. And that's and, where the church has found itself. And that's where the church is. And that's what I think the lesson to take from Jordan Peterson is, is why isn't the church in the middle there? Because if you listen to him, the church is the opposite from being in the middle there. He goes, when I was raised, I went to church all the time, and I realized it was just a total garbage. And then I went out, and I studied psychology, and I learned about evolution, figured out how we evolved all this stuff. And now I've gone back to the Bible, and I'm seeing these truths that were involved in the Bible. And and he's explicitly in his language, he's talking about how the church just has completely failed to be light. So all of a sudden you have God, and let's remember what God is doing here. You have God have an unbeliever go to scripture so that the world has some light. That should cause the church to tremble in fear. There's a part of it, what we're also saying is if, if you grew up in the church, if you grew up and you've studied God, God's word and you've memorized some of God's word and you've read God's word and you know some of it, you know more truth than Jordan Peterson does. The reason why you're not— If the church was faithful to teach. Right. And what I'm, no, I'm saying there are people here who right now have in their heads more true knowledge than Jordan Peterson has. And the question is, is what does it say in here when it says, if the, how does salt lose its flavor? Salt does by itself a piece of salt. The only way it does is it becomes corrupted because there's other stuff in there that's not salt. Or a lot of times it gets water, so it dissolves right. out and so the salt gets, disappears. And so, but in the end, if you actually it's diluted, some, right? And so there's this part of it where you should actually consider why is why isn't your knowledge of God's word being useful to you? Have you actually, you know, I mean, have, or stopping? I mean. We shouldn't be self-centered here. Why isn't the, your knowledge of God's word useful to the world around you? Right. Because Jordan Peterson's being useful to the world around him based on biblical principles in some cases, not definitely not all, but in some cases. But yet the church has so much less. This is a real rebuke. And the reason God. I'm saying to you is because Scripture talks about through use. And so there's sure. this part of it where if you don't – why don't you know how to use God's word to answer questions about what you should be doing in your life? Why don't – can you look at scripture and understand why clean your room is something that's scriptural? Can you understand where that comes from? Can you understand why having a purpose is biblical? Because it's not, a, it's not hard to get there. It's not hard to find. And so there's this part of where if you've heard Jordan Peterson speak and it's been amazing to you, 
You should ask yourself why that is, because he doesn't, it's not like he's, he's not digging deep into God's word. He's barely scratching the surface. And that, I mean, it should be a rebuke to us individually when this happens. But I do think, you know, it goes back to what happened in the 1880s where Charles Spurgeon says everything's supposed to end up at the cross. Because all of a sudden the church stopped being about edifying the believers for the – and I understand he was causing a revival in the church in England. And I'm not saying that – It's not Spurgeon's him, fault necessarily. It's not Spurgeon's fault. That could have been appropriate at his time because there were so many churches filled with so many unbelievers just like today. But yet all – most churches, their sermons end at the foot of the cross, which means that they aren't ending where the passage ends. They aren't ending with this is what God says you should do. They aren't ending with edifying the church. They're end, ending with – you need to be a believer without saying that being a believer really means that you change. Right. A believer in an almost meaning in a meaningless sense in the world. And that, I mean, and that's, that's really the problem. You've said some words. Yeah. Some of his basic truths. And then I think it is worth reading his 12 rules, but some basic things that, that he teaches, right? One of the most basic is that you shouldn't live for yourself, that you should have some purpose that's beyond you. That's clearly a biblical principle, right? Matthew 10, 38 and 39. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, he substitutes my sake for the world, for moving things forward, for advancement, for meaning, for purpose. But in the end, he's saying, if all you do is sit and do nothing, you're, you're killing yourself. You're losing your life. So he's taking that biblical principle, diluting it a lot, and then he speaks of it in the things that I've heard and what he says when I've seen him is this is the message that like is transformative for his audience by far. I mean, we, we have a client that we've worked with for years and one of the guys who's the has been a VP who's running one of the divisions and has been there for a long time. I remember he was talking about his job, which is a difficult job balancing a lot of people and a lot of different demands. And he's got people above him putting pressure on him. And I remember at one point we were having a conversation and he said, my basic, my, one of my fundamental truths that I've learned is, is if you're not willing to lose your job over what's right, you're, you don't deserve to have it. And that's Matt, you know, what I mean, in the end, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the secular version of this verse. That's what Jordan Peterson is saying. It's, you know what I mean? And, and, and I don't think this, this man practices Christianity now, but his father was a pastor. He probably heard these things growing up and he understands them viscerally that, that this is what gives meaning and purpose to life. And Jordan Peterson's coming out there and saying, this is what gives meaning and purpose to life. And it's kind of creating any fake thing out there. But it's saying without something to have purpose, life is not worth living. You know, if you're not willing to die for anything, you're not living for anything. Another thing that he talks about is that suffering has a purpose. I mean, if you look at James 1, 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And I mean, you can see this in the world. I mean, you know anybody who's been through a difficult time, you've ever been through a difficult time with them. As soon as you go through that, the significance of that difficult time, it's, it's I mean, people who've been through war afterwards, they talk about it and they look back on it and they understood the, the worth of it. People who play competitive sports, that they were willing to push themselves for those things, that they were willing to endure pain, even things that don't matter that much. The fact that it was worth suffering for, the fact that it was worth putting in effort for, they understand that it... You can't eliminate that if something is worthwhile. 
this is expressed in its greatest way with Christ being willing to go to the cross and and the glory that he was going you know that that was going to come from that how God was going to glorify himself through this action and so I mean this isn't something that it's just people that are saved understand it's something that everybody can understand and Jordan Peterson is pointing out that you understand how this gives you purpose and gives you meaning. It's a fundamental thing that God has made. Though I, on the flip side, it also falls short as well because, you know, what's the point of suffering if at the end of it you die? You know, and, and so, you know, it, it works for somewhat, but if you don't have the eternal perspective, there's a lot of suffering that doesn't have a purpose it, under, under his philosophy. I mean, his philosophy is that the suffering itself, that in this is a biblical concept, right? It's the biblical concept of, of proving a metal is that when you heat it up, the suffering, then it causes the dross to rise to the top and it gets removed. So he goes, the purpose for suffering is you're a better person at the end. And because you're just going to die and go into the grave and there is nothing after that, what more can you hope for except to be better for the rest of your life? Better with some nebulous standard because he doesn't have a God that sets the standard. It's just some moral standard that is kind of in the universe. But in the end, he's saying the suffering is useful because of that idea of metal that that you know you heat it up and you remove the dross, and so he says suffering removes dross. So don't don't discount suffering, and the goodness of suffering. I mean, he's again. This is one of those cases where he's an unbeliever who's trying to do the best he can with the tools that he's got, and he recognizes this fact that life is in many ways suffering, and what he's trying to do is stay out of the nihilistic ditch. He's trying to carve out some sort of a stoicist or or Eastern mysticist way of handling suffering and saying, well, what does suffering do? And, and one, one of the things you'll hear him say is say, don't aim for happiness. You know, happiness is not the way that you actually end up being happy. Aim for something else. Try and find meaning in your suffering. And then you'll find happiness is this accidental thing that follows on that. Right. Um, and that that will give you a more meaningful, more robust life. And that's, I mean, that's obviously the gospel, right? I mean, you have Paul and he's filled with joy and he's being shipwrecked and he's being stoned and left for dead. And he's, you know, he's being beaten with 39 stripes multiple times. And, you know, he's looking at that. And, you know, I do think that Jordan Peterson's bringing out biblical concepts. But like Joshua said, they fall short. They fall short that they're not about eternity. And they fall short because it's arbitrary what he's saying is useful. Because he could say, instead of being useful to the world and be more, more having a bigger effect on the world, that the best thing to do is to never have to get off your couch and to be able to drink as much beer as you want and to sit there like a drunken slob, and that's fine, and that's the goal. And nobody, based on his argument, could say that the one's true and the other's not because he doesn't have a reason why it's important to make the world better. But it's still how God has ordered the world that people have a sense of this. And, and so he's just expressing a sense. Yeah, everybody would know it's not true. Right. Because they would look and they'd go, no, sitting there and being a couch potato for all your life, that's really not, you know, nobody's going to go hoo-hoo. But this is the argument that Paul gives. If the dead are not raised, then eat, drink, and be right. merry, for tomorrow we die. So Jordan Peterson, on one hand, is saying everybody knows this. And on the other hand, he's, he's rejecting a basic scriptural truth. Right. Because in the end, if you follow Jordan Peterson's advice and you sacrifice for these things, you have your reward. Yes. You know what I mean? I mean, and so, I mean, in the end, when you die, you can't look back and go, wasn't this supposed to obtain me something more? It's, no, this was, it was a carnal effort. All it could obtain were carnal ends. And so that's and it. Hey, You've gotten and, your reward out of it. And that suffering really does put a real constraint on your sin, on your slavery to, to certain lusts, to certain 
things. I mean, in, in, that can even make you more happy. He's not even wrong. That does make you happier. But in the end, you still go to the grave and you go to hell. I think if you, and if you even look, one of the reasons why Jordan Peterson probably has become more conservative is he recognizes what we kind of said about conservatism is that the value of conservatism is it just slows down decay. And so there's a part of it where he sees, you know, I mean, a lot of the things he's seen is just that, hey, it slows down the decay that you can see all around you. I mean, another thing that he says is men should lead. Now, he usually says this in the context of if you want to have a wife that you need to lead because why would she marry you if all you're going to be is a drain on her resources and other things. But at the same time, he does say men and women are different and men have a different reason. I mean, they have different emotions. And it's interesting because Jordan Peterson, most of the things that he says, he's very, seems to be very attuned to the research and reads the research and knows. And these are like, you know, concepts that are biblical concepts that are clear biblical concepts. And kind of what he's saying is, I went out and looked at the research, and this is what the research says. Right. And so for all the people going, oh, women want to be equal to men and be like men, he's going, no, actually men and women are very different. And if you want a wife, you need to be a man, not a woman. And his appeal there is not to Scripture, it's to the clinical psychology. Right. But in the end, the clinical psychology is measuring the truths of Scripture, which we would expect them to be measurable. And it's really interesting because in the end, you listen to anyone else, and they'll tell you that the research says the opposite. They will tell you that the research supports the liberal view. And he's sitting there going, not only is that not true, it's everybody, anybody who looks can see it. Right. And he goes, fine, show me a study. I've read them. Show me a study. You can't. And you know you can't. You're just saying that when you know it's a lie. And he'll call people on that. Which brings us to another one that I think is is what makes him very attractive, which is another biblical principle, which is we're supposed to be bold. You know, yes, we're supposed to be humble. You know, the meek will inherit the earth. But that's humble towards God. And that is putting to death your pride. I don't mean that. But I mean, you know, I know Bonson called it humble boldness. That's what Christians are supposed to have, humble boldness. We're humble because it's not us. So we should be looking at it going, this isn't my message. I'm just the messenger. But we should be bold because we are an ambassador of God, and the one who sent us has all the power, so it's not about us. Right. And so when when – Jordan Peterson goes on there and people ask him questions and he's bold in the response and he's direct in the response and he, he won't back down. How often does the church do that? When people, when Christians are out in the world, they back down all the time. You having a Bible on your desk offends me. Well, I'll hide my Bible, you know? And, and then we look at Jordan Peterson and see him having the boldness that Christians should have. And, and that's very attractive to a bunch of people that are Christians because we've kind of accepted that we're supposed to lose Right. We're not supposed to be bold because we're going to lose. So just don't attract attention because if you do, yeah, we're more than victors in Christ, but we're going to lose. And it, you could also say he has at least a form of humility as well because often he'll say that he doesn't know. You know, someone asks the question, he says, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. You know, or, you know, we don't know the answers. So, you know, maybe if he doesn't know it, no one knows it. But still, I mean, to say. Well, he's, he's looking at psychology and right. saying psychology is the. Is the, right. and he's the center of, all, nation, of right. all knowledge. Right. But to say, you know, there is a limit to my knowledge is something that not everyone will acknowledge. Especially not in that position. I mean, where you're that public and that you're, you know, you're being, you're being recognized and everybody's listening to you because, because you're supposed to have answers. 
And so, yeah, he's he's willing to say he doesn't have answers. I think that's important as well because there's a part of it where we, we talk a lot about how that Christian, the Bible allows us to address any issue. It doesn't mean that at any moment you'll know the answer to any issue. And there are times where people just go, the Bible allows us to answer this issue, and they go, so therefore I can wade into this area where I really don't have any knowledge. You know what I mean? And, and, you'll, and, you, and you can see people do this at times, people who are charismatic, people who are just, just proud right? in the end, and they just say, we have to be able to speak to it, so I'm just going to say whatever I think. And the answer is, is there's areas where, I mean, if you don't know, you, the answer should be, I don't know. Or I need to think about that, right? right. I mean, because there's a valid place. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've done that when I've been asked questions at, conference where I get, at conferences where I go, I don't know. And then 15 minutes later, after asking some questions, I go, I want to go back and answer <laughs> that question because now I've had a little time to think about right. it while I was being translated. I remember once Larry King, this was about the homosexuality was going on. And, and he invites a bunch of pastors and he goes, you know, I don't remember who they were, but they, you know, they were like Joel Osteen type and, you know, from different, different kind of prosperity gospel versus charismatic. And then they had John MacArthur on there. And so he goes, so, you know, Joel Osteen, what do you think? And I'm not sure it was him, but it was somebody that had kind of that, that sure. theology. And he goes, well, you know, uh, yeah, it, you know, they shouldn't really do it, but God loves everybody. And, you know, and it was like four or five people on the panel. And then they get to MacArthur and MacArthur goes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> God says it's because they don't know God, that they hate God. They don't want to retain God in their knowledge. That's why, as a society, we're embracing homosexuality. And there aren't many people out there that will do that. When they get into that stage, they'll, they'll be like, I remember another time when Vody Botkin was on, was on CNN, and they asked him, so, so Sarah Palin is McCain's running mate, so what do you think? And he goes... Women aren't allowed to be civil magistrates. That's what I think. That's what the God. That's what God wrote in His Word. And so that's are, even rarer today now that somebody would say that than when He said it. I mean, right. a, a smaller number of people. But you just look at it, and we should look at Jordan Peterson. And again, the church should look at Jordan Peterson and the boldness that he has, without any backup, with mental problems because he has he's had problems, and he admits that he has problems. Like you said, he's humble in ways. And go. So why are we ashamed of the gospel? Right, Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we see boldness in Jordan Peterson, and there aren't that many people that are bold out there. And that's a real rebuke to the church. And, and this is something where it doesn't mean you have to go and be in an interview to be bold. There's time. I mean, can you think of how many times you've been in a conversation with someone and someone meant a topic comes up and you know you have an opportunity to to be bold? You know you have an opportunity to, you know, whether you're talking to your neighbor, you're talking to someone at work, you're talking to – I mean, there's a part of – I mean, it's very easy to let that moment go by. It's very easy to just – to give the, well, people, you know, should have – I mean, you know, it's that's, that's the natural response is to give that answer, and that should not be the – that should not be our natural response. You can, you can think even smaller than that, and you can think about opportunities when you are not bold as a father with your children, when, when your father when, – when your child is doing something explicitly or implicitly begging you to say – what are the rules? Where are the boundaries? Where are the edges here? And you don't tell them that. Well, it's a whole bunch of young men out there whose fathers did not do that for them. And that's why they find Jordan Peterson attractive. 
because their father was not bold to say, no, the gospel talks about that too. Go clean your room. So one of his first big books was 12 Rules for Life. So, so we'll go through the rules here. So the first of his 12 Rules for Life is, uh, number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Shoulder blades touching. I mean, who can object to that? I, I have said this to certain of my own children, some of them repeatedly. You know, it's a rule for life in my house. Okay. And there is, I mean, it is just kind of basic. There's a basic decorum that should be in life. And I think, and I would argue that the scripture talks about that it should be orderly. And I mean, it, you, you shouldn't be reflecting sloth and how you stand and things. So, I mean, this is kind of a biblical concept. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I mean, there's all, I mean, there starts to be this part of it showing respect to one another that you show, you, I mean, there start to be things that are just pretty fundamental to how you, to how you treat people. And your physical attitude does affect how you think about things. And if you're like sloped down and stuff instead of sitting up straight, it really does have an effect. It doesn't mean there's never a place. I mean, in the end, I mean, his 12 rules for life is, doesn't mean, I don't even, he would even say there's no place, but he's saying this is a guideline. This is a good thing to do. Right. Number two, treat yourself like you are someone you are responsible for helping. This is love yourself as your neighbor. Right. Literally, he flipped it on its head. Right. Which... <laughs> And I understand kind of why, but there has to be some basis to understand. In other words, what he's saying is that that what should drive a man to be a man is to like actually want to accomplish things and do things. So you should do that to other people. So naturally, you should also do it to yourself. You can't negate your love for your neighbor by treating yourself badly. You know what I mean? I mean, a sense of like, because if it's, if it's love your neighbors, you love yourself, you can go, I don't love myself at all, so I can treat my neighbor horribly. But part of it is he assumes that you love your neighbor. Right. Right. And that's a really bad assumption for most people. They don't, they care how their neighbor thinks of them because of pride of life, right? It's sin. But a lot of times they don't treat their neighbors very well at all. But yet the, the superficial, how you treat other people, right, that kind of looks like you're loving them and caring for them. But a lot of that's pretty superficial when you look at people's actual behavior. You know, all of a sudden it becomes do that to yourself. And there's no real love there because you don't love your neighbor. And, and some of it is, you know, uh, the difference between here, will you babysit my kid for the afternoon versus will you raise your own child? I mean, the way that you're helping someone, you can help someone really dramatically over like a short period of time in a specific way where actually if you're in for the long haul – the way people help each other isn't as as solid as as that as a short burst. I mean, fundamentally, it's you shall not murder. Life has value, and you can't negate you. you your life also has value, right? And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, so but it's you, it's it's presuming that you have an attitude that other people's life has value, and right. I think we're rapidly losing that in our society. Right. But the liberals don't think that, and it's useful to remember he's coming from a very liberal perspective. Because the liberals reject the idea. They reject – they say that everybody except for the mean, evil conservatives, they all are trying to help everybody. That's what every program's for. That's what everything that they're trying to get the government to do. It's all about helping people. So just like you want to help the, the poor by voting for welfare, you should vote for welfare for yourself or whatever, right? I mean – but he's starting with a very liberal mindset that people actually want to help other people rather than the, the reality, which – that isn't how the world works. I couldn't tell if you said mean, evil conservatives or medieval conservatives. I said mean, evil but conservatives. But they're kind of the same, <laughs> right. so. 
Maybe in somewhere in here we should have a disclaimer that we haven't actually read the book and don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> we're just taking it at their face value. We're guessing. Well, we do know what the words say. We can presume that, like, stand up straight with your shoulders back, that that is a presumption that he's actually applying it to more, which I would say is probably right, but that is a presumption. He does love word games, so will we ever know what he really meant? And it really, and the answer is, is it doesn't matter what he means. What we're really saying is, is can we take these things and can we take them to Scripture and say where these things come from in Scripture? Number three, make friends with people who want the best for you. Don't deceive yourself. Bad company corrupts good morals. Right. That's a better phrasing of it than his point number three. Right. <laughs> but Lots of proverbs. That's a good rule for life. Companion of fools will be destroyed. I mean, yeah. And if you think about it, his audience, it, by and large, is young men. This is a really good thing. Oh, for, yeah. <laughs> this is a really good thing for a young man to hear because you're in that phase in life where you're actually – you're making a lot of friends. And as you grow older, you make fewer friends. It's just something that happens. And you have opportunities to gather yourself around – you have opportunities to gather people around you who can help you move to the next stage in life or people who can pull you back. I think he talks to as many middle-aged men as he does young men. And the reality is a lot of middle-aged men are where they are because of the friends that they chose. They're hanging out with the same people they were hanging out at high school that have it. They each feed off of each other's sin and they all sit out around and they just play sports. They just, you know, they go to the bar. They do, you know. He speaks to a lot of people like that that just have no feeling like life matters at all. And, hey, changing who you're hanging around can really have an effect. Number four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. There's a way this is a really good principle where you could say, look, if you want to track your progress, let's say if you're a Christian, you want to track your progress in holiness, don't look at somebody else's life. Look at where you were yesterday and look at what God's done for you now. There's another way you can look at this and you can say, this is just works righteousness. This is a path to hell. And there's another way where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So there is a point where you're supposed to look at other people that, that God has clearly worked in their life. And you're supposed to look at them and say, I should be more like them. So, right. so there's mixed bag here. Some truths, some scriptural ideas there, and then some rejection of scriptural ideas. But it's a central – I think it's a central point of pride versus humility because pride is – saying is evaluating yourself wrongly and one of the ways we evaluate ourselves wrongly is we compare ourselves to others where we don't have sufficient information to do so or we compare ourselves to others that make us look good right that happens a lot right so, so i was kind of talking where you feel bad because you're going i should be further along than i am right. versus you can also choose people that make you go wow no, that's, i'm doing pretty good and you're comparing yourself to someone who's not racing with you they're being sanctified right. in a different area than you i mean so it's really easy to it's much easier. To and look it, at. remember, he's talking to unbelievers. So one right. of the good things is, is he's saying people aren't static, right? And that's a good thing to say because people want to think that I, I'll be where I am twenty years from now. And the reality is, people aren't static. They're either decaying or they're growing. Number five: Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. You know, you know, you can kind of, you can see where he doesn't have a moral standard of what right and wrong is, but. He's appealing to a gut instinct that if your kid is doing something that would make you not not like them, that it must be wrong. And so don't let them do that. And so he's giving a principle that you're not supposed to be telling your children, follow your heart, do whatever makes you happy. You're supposed to be saying, well, actually, if this is something that is obnoxious and is going to make everyone hate you, stop them from doing that. That's your job as a parent. So there's some real truth to that is, you know, if your children are doing something that 
you know, is destructive or is obnoxious, stop them. Yeah, I think what you said there, that's your job. That's really, that's the umbrella that covers this, is you have a job as a parent, and he's just, he's giving you a colorful way of of putting a handle to that is, hey, one of the things you can do is just make sure your kids aren't brats. Anything that's not a faith is sin. It's kind of, you know, there's just, there's an aspect of that. Right. I mean, that's the closest but there is the idea that, that it really does help the world when people have a facade of Christianity. I mean, it it doesn't help them. They still go to hell, but it does help the world. It does constrain sin in the world. And, and there's something good about that is just in the sense of, ta- you know, taking the rule for what it is that you don't actually need a chapter and verse for everything your children is doing wrong. You just say, I don't like you doing that. It doesn't make you right. You know, it no doesn't feel. You do that. It doesn't feel right to let you do that. So you're not allowed to do it. You're not That's breaking one of the ten commandments, but you are now because you can't do that anymore. Right. <laughs> Number six: Set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. He doesn't Rem- follow this one. <laughs> well, remove the plank out of your own eye before you b- right. remove the speck out of your brother's eye is kind of what he's yep. saying, right? I mean, there's a biblical verse for it, but all of a sudden you go in perfect order. Really? That just eliminated you ever saying anything criticizing the world. And clearly, Jordan Peterson's house isn't in perfect order, and yet he doesn't hesitate to criticize the world. So he doesn't literally mean this. But maybe this is a true myth. Right. Seven, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Paul says, what is it? All things are profitable, not all things are expedient. I was thinking, (laughs) Proverbs says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Right. (laughs) Because the ant is storing up for the later. And so, yeah, I do think there's biblical principles that are there, right, is that we're supposed to pursue things that matter and not just pursue pleasure. And I think there's plenty of biblical verses that that say that. But in the end, what he can't define is what's meaningful. Because what he defines as what meaningful is, well, we evolved to be a better place as a people because he's looking towards evolution. And so he's saying you should help evolution along. I don't think he would define himself as an existentialist, but it's really hard to see how existentialism is not the result. And, and by that, I mean kind of the the philosophy club definition of it of, you know, you create your own meaning. I don't think that that's what he would say on paper, but I don't know how you can get away from that. But it, he, he, he has this weird thing that he doesn't like handle very well because he can't separate – so he'll say, like, collectively, we need to move the world forward and that it advancing, however that is, that that's what gives meaning. But then at the individual, he also kind of goes, well, whatever meaning you give to yourself is – so he can, he confuses the collective and the individual. I mean, they, I mean there's some sort of you know, meaning that all of humanity has created that, it's a ref, that comes from an intrinsic meaning in the world. But in, in the end, there's no, like, absolute standard for what that is. There's no moral standard is what he explicitly rejects. Number eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie. That's, that's Lying lips and abomination yeah. before the Lord. We've had a podcast about that, right? Yeah. Okay. And I mean, he's even getting into the distinction that there are some people to whom you don't owe, you don't right. owe certain truths to, but at the same point, that doesn't give you the freedom to lie to them. I think that's, that's a pretty good stated biblical principle right yeah. there. Best one yet. It should be number one. <laughs> Except for that shoulders thing. Nine, assume that the person you are listening to might know something that you don't, especially if that's Jordan Peterson you're listening to. Oh, wait, no. Actually, I think Jordan Peterson actually does this one. 
I mean, I'd, I'd give him points for that, that he, he – actually, that's part of the reason that he can actually answer questions in a way that he gets viral videos is that he does really answer the question. He does listen to what they're saying, and he will listen to their arguments, and he will – he will, you know – Acknowledge I, when they make good points. I mean – Right, and say, well, yeah, I've said that badly. I should say it this way because you're right, that point that you just made. And, you know, so I do think he, he actually does this. So he's not hypocritical about this one. That's a good thing. I mean, it's really easy when you're talking, when you're thinking about someone that you says something you don't like to go. So and so is just a complete idiot, and it's and and a lot of times you have to catch yourself and go, he's not a complete. They're, I mean, if people who criticize president. I mean, President Biden is not a complete idiot. Let's just be really clear. He is a great politician for he, many years. For him to have the power he has, right? He is very savvy about a lot of things, and it'd be really embarrassing for a lot of people who he manipulates if he wasn't savvy. And so, I mean, it is just. Yeah, there's, there really needs to be an acknowledgement, even when you don't agree with someone, even when you don't think. They know things you don't, and you shouldn't dismiss that. And and I think there's lessons for the church here, too, right? When people evangelize, they want to do Romans Road or something like that, where you just go, here. here's the four points that you need to know to be saved. And that's not how you see people witness in the Bible, not at all. What you see people witness to the Bible is they talk to the person and they hear them. Paul walked around on Mars Hill and goes— Oh, I see you have this and this, and he's speaking to them where they are. He had, we have no reason to think he'd ever been to Athens before, but yet he listens to them. And I think a lot of times the church doesn't listen when they do evangelism. They just think, I'm going to say what I want to say instead of listening to where the person is. Because some people, they should be rebuked. Some people, they should be encouraged. Some people, they don't have any purpose in life, and they're desperate to hear that there is a God who, if they repent and believe, will save them. And there's other people that need their pride knocked down. There's other people that need to feel the wrath of God. And and so we don't, I think in evangelism, the church is really bad at listening to people. I think we could learn something from Jordan Peterson. Number 10, be precise in your speech. I mean, this is something that, you know, is, is, is needed in a lot of areas in a generation wherever you just whip out your phone and post your tweet, your Facebook whatever you, you know you just kind of throw it out there without any you know any any care for actually crafting your words and being careful about what you're saying the reason you be precise in your speech <laughs> the reason that you be precise in your speech is because words really matter and words really have an impact and i think a lot of times people have you know in the church they don't think their words matter they don't think saying things saying well the bible says this that that will actually matter and so People get really sloppy if they don't think their words matter. And to some extent, you know, be precise in your speech is saying words really matter. And and that's clearly a biblical concept because Christ is the word. It's kind of the same thing about do not tell the truth, do not lie. Christ is truth. So truth really matters. Christ is the word. So be precise in your speech. Well, this gets edited, but I mean – you, if there's definitely imprecision in the things we say, but you don't know how many times during this where, you know, I'll be saying something and Dan will. No, what are you going to me? You can't say that because you're the only person who generally does that correction. And after I get over my offense, I frequently realize that you're right. So, I mean, and even if not, it's valuable to say we shouldn't say that. That's actually not true. We had someone write in the other day. We did an episode where we talked about that uh, Gerald Ford was an All-American quarterback. He was an All-American center. He played football. The point we were making was that he was an athlete, but we were wrong. He wasn't a quarterback. He was a center. And details matter. We appreciate people pointing that out. No offense taken. Banned. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not offended because we won't be hearing from you anymore. And if you and if you look at what stands the test of time, I mean, people still read, you know, the Westminster Confession, the Catechism, all the time, and that's something where they were being very precise about what they were saying and carefully crafting the words, and that's something that people find useful, more useful than you know many, many, many other books that even some of those same people may have written where they didn't spend the same time to be as precise. Number 11, do not bother children while they are skateboarding. And so he could have made 10 rules. You know. <laughs> yeah, he could have made 10 rules. <laughs> what is the biblical principle behind this one? I don't know if there's a profound principle here, but there is. I mean, it is something that you that, that you see people out there and they see something. It's kind of the counterpoint to the one about do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. It, this is kind of the counterpoint saying don't just see joy and then crush it just because you're a curmudgeon who doesn't Get like off things. my lawn, right? Exactly. Yeah, or, so. I mean, you know, and I do think my guess is, is he's also saying risk-taking. Because sure. one of the things that, you know, there's I mean, a lot of mothers that, that see people that are skateboarding and they go, you're going to get hurt. Stop it. And so, you know, I don't know which one he means by that, but I do think that's a very valid, that's a scriptural point. One of the things that isn't a scriptural point is I bet some of those children are 20 years old. And the reality is you're supposed to put aside childish things. So there's a place where you can skateboard, but I bet he would call children are called men and women, children, much longer than he should, biblically. I might have to look this one up and see what he says about it. I mean, the other ones, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, I don't think we were very far off. But I right, but there's one, a few different ways that that could potentially yeah, be met. it be interesting met. to see what he actually, yeah, what he's pointing at. How well, about the last one? <laughs> oh, 12, pet a cat when you encounter one in the street. So kind of take little pleasures in life is what he's saying. I don't know if you hate cats. I think when I you know. pet a cat and you get scratches, it's not that pleasurable, but maybe he has a different experience than I do. I mean, and there's a part of it where, I mean, if you take it to a certain extent, God put animals in the world for man to take dominion with. And so there is a part of it where these things do exist for man. To, there's a part of it where pets are for man's pleasure, for man's satisfaction. There's some things for it to do work with, but there are pets that are just for, there are pets that are just for petting. And I mean, and based on what Joshua just read, I mean, it, it legitimately could be, I mean, it's the idea that you should take pleasure in things in the world, yep. right? I mean, the, you see a sunset, you should enjoy the sunset. You, you see something beauty in God's creation. You should be pleased with it. You should rejoice in it and be satisfied with it. And, you know, and I do think he's trying to balance, like your life has to have meaning with, you know, Hey, also you need to step back and go, yeah, that was a good stake. There's nothing wrong with saying that. I mean, one of the main things that I think that's really a negative in what he does and says is he says that, you know, the problem with the church is the church says it has moral authority. And that's a big problem because the church should be expressing the moral authority of God. And he's very explicit about that is the problem with the church is that it says it has moral authority. So he becomes amoral by saying that nobody has moral authority. Right. Even as some of the things he is saying kind of contradict that idea. I mean, because in the end, there are many things he says that there's a point at which it's... The it's and it goes back to the audience he's talking to, the ones that he appeals to, that, that they haven't thought through things a lot, so they can't see the contradictions in his thought. 
And he can't see them because most people can't see the own contradictions in their thought. That's why you need to argue with one another. That's why you need to have the debates and discussions because otherwise you can't see the flaws in your own arguments. But but he's like thinking so far further than most of those people who are in his audience that they don't look and go, wait a second, you're contradicting yourself. And he contradicts himself you know, fairly frequently about things like this. And But most people in the church can't see that either, which means he's thought about things more than people in the church. And the church has a duty by God. Those who are Christians have a duty to take every thought captive. And that means we should outthink Jordan Peterson. Right. I mean, and, and we've talked about this a couple earlier in the thing, but he removes – he goes from there's no God to a true myth. I mean, he – he does not believe in God. And there's a part of where, I mean, I want to say this This should be said to Christians. Jordan Peterson is not saved. He is a slave to sin. He is deceived. And there's a part of it where that will cause him, even though I think I said before he had good intentions. I think he has generally good intentions, and I mean that. Well, I think his intentions are he finds satisfaction and builds up his pride based on certain sins that are beneficial. right in a sense, to the people who he's doing it. He wants to go, look at all these people I helped. Look at how great I am because I helped all and these people, which is to, a lot better than look at how great I am. I beat up all these people. And, and what I'm saying is, is because of that, he, he will say things. If your attitude towards Jordan Peterson is looking for anything he says so that you can say he's a Christian, he's going to say things like that to cause you to believe him. He's going to say, you can find a quote where he says, I'm not an atheist. You can find a quote where he talks about, you know, I, I believe in Christianity. I be, he, he'll t- where he'll talk about, I mean, he'll talk so like favorable things about Christ. And so there's this part of it where, I mean, Christians need to actually, I mean, you need to be on your guard. If you're, if you're prone to falling into this, if your attitude is looking at him and going, I just really want to believe that he's becoming a Christian, you need to be really careful. You need to be really, really careful. This should, Christians should not be in that position when they're when they're watching people. I remember a few years ago, everybody was saying that about Kanye. Be really careful. This is this is just, you know, there is such a desire for the world to love the church, and Christ said that's not ever going to happen. The way that the the world loves the church is it becomes a synagogue of Satan, and that is so critical for everybody to understand. The world hates the church, the true church of Jesus Christ. They hated me, so they'll hate you. And I'm not saying Jordan Peterson cannot become a Christian. I want to be really right. clear. Right. But the steps he is taking are not the steps. They are not the steps that a person takes to become a Christian. There are no steps he has taken that you would go, these are the natural steps one takes to become a Christian. They are not. And you, if you think they are, you should study how someone actually becomes saved. Right. I mean, there's there's false teachers who have a lot more or people who live wicked lives who have a lot more sound theology than him who are a lot closer to becoming a christian than he is you know that's just if not that how was the way you, right that's not how not how conversion works and i mean one thing too one thing too is it's also i think a lot of how he became so successful is because he's saying he's saying positive things about christianity and because the world these days is so secular and so many you And know, Christians are so desperate for the world to love them. Yeah, I mean, but you go back 100, 150 years and you'd have to look hard to find someone who didn't have a bunch of positive things to say about Christianity, who didn't think that the world needed to be based on, you know, uh, you know, a 
biblically defined moral standard. I mean, that's what basically everyone was saying. And so now we've moved away from that. And so we're just grasping at any straw of anyone that says something nice about the Bible. doesn't mean they're a Christian. Can you unpack what you mean? Because you've said this several times, and I can believe there are people who don't understand why when we say about Jordan Peterson becoming a Christian, you say the church is so desperate for the world to love them. How do those two ideas intersect? Because what they're so – they're going – everybody loves Jordan Peterson. Everybody loves Kanye West. Everybody loves these people. And so they go, well, if he gets accepted, then everybody will love Christ. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not how it works. If one of them is saved, they will lose a large percent of their audience because instead of being a self-help guru – it will be everything is about God and you must repent or go to hell. And that just doesn't get the same, you know, that doesn't get the same number of people. So when you're desperate for this star to, to be able to say, well, he's not offending anybody, but, but boy, he's a Christian. Well, that's not what Christianity looks like. It's offensive. It's a, it's a scandal. It's offensive that, for a different reason. And just this whole idea that the scriptures are a true myth. This has real problems because in the end, then he can go and say this is the collective wisdom of mankind. But now we've decided that two men can be married. More than 2,000 years ago, when the, the Greek empire was flourishing, homosexuality was widely seen to be the normal. We're not even close to that yet. But yet Jordan Peterson, if he continues to have the positions that he has, I think he's going to basically say this true myth that it's missing a part of truth that we now need to evolve it further to accept other behaviors that the Bible clearly speaks against. And so it gives this fluidity to scripture because he's saying we're, we keep evolving. So And understand, there's a lot of churches that go the same thing. I tell people women are not permitted to speak. It is a shame, Right. And they, that it's out of order, and they turn around and they go, but we've evolved. I mean, that's said in churches all the time, but not in real churches that are actually submitting to the Word of God. And, and so this idea that he's introducing really causes some great confusion. So if you start following him thinking this is Christian, all of a sudden he's going to be saying things evolve. Well, that's not what God says. He was and is and always will be. And I think the point isn't so much that he necessarily even has to say they'll evolve. It's just in the end of that's already what he believes. He, he, he doesn't have to take anything from – he does not feel compelled to take any particular truth from the Bible. He has no obligation to hold to it all. He, he has no view that it is inerrant. He has no view that it is infallible. He says there are, there are, some, there, there are some absolute truths here. But he has no he feels no obligation to any of them unless he looks at it and says, I understand this one. I can see how this can be used. Obviously we should this is true. Well, he would take and say this is the collective wisdom of mankind. Sure. And so because of that, he can say, Yeah, but truth is not determined by vote. It's not determined by majority, but at the same time he'd go, But most things, you know, right. mankind has got it right. We're still around. It's very interesting because he's very rejecting of the Quran. It's not like he's going, you know, books of wisdom, you know, this is the collective wisdom, Confucianism, wow, look at how great this is, or, or, or the Quran and Islam. I mean, he's like, the Bible's really the only one that right. he would look at and say, this is the collective wisdom of man, which is really interesting. Is. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how he comes to that conclusion because if you have that view, then when the older one that's been evolved more, 
like Confucianism supposed to be around earlier, the writings of Confucius. When do you start to go, well, that's the real wisdom? And so, But he does look at it and go, hey, I think the Bible has truths that, that these other religions don't have. Another problem is because he's building it on a false foundation is that it will – it will produce the things like, you know, it's it's really no different, his religion. I, I used the example of Methodism before. It's really no different than Roman Catholicism. It's really no different than Mormonism, where you go and you say, we're going to make your life better in certain ways. But then you see, like, the the evil that's underneath there, right? Like the, you know, the, the polygamy and Mormonism, the, you know, even today, you know, there's a, a – diocese in Maryland that a Roman Catholic that over the last decades they've had 600 you know young boys that were molested and they covered up I mean this is what you get and it's really important to recognize that since he's just kind of putting a Christian veneer on something that in the end that veneer hides stuff and it will look like it does good. Mormonism, right? They're really good at going out there and spreading about how they're family oriented and all this other stuff so that they don't so that they just distort about that they're leading people to hell. They're whitewashed tombs, right? They're whitewashed tombs and they're death in there. But but we should just recognize I mean it's important for people, especially Christians, that are going, Oh, I finally heard somebody that's saying the things that we should be saying that that's really dangerous because the end of that is still death. Why does the path that leads to destruction. And Jordan Peterson is pointing people to that path. And he's pointing the people to that path, claiming a sort of Christianity, which actually makes it harder to preach the gospel to people. So Jordan Peterson, it's a rebuke to the church that he's out there doing these things. And it's also making it harder for the church to do what it should be doing. But it's not doing it anyway in a lot of ways, so it doesn't matter that much. But we should recognize God will judge. And there's a certain point where if you act, if the church actually progresses in a way, it's going to be at odds with Jordan Peterson. And if you have, a, I think it should be. I mean, right? It's already at odds with Jordan Peterson. And those that if, are faithful. And that's what I'm saying is, is there's a part of it where right now people don't see themselves at being at odds with Jordan Peterson because in the end, same reason we're so enamored with Rowling, who's you know she's saying things that we we wish other people would say, and people are just so excited about it. So, so is the message then for all the big Jordan Peterson fans listening that they should stop listening to him? I would suggest they go read Puritans instead. They'd find out a lot more and a lot more useful things. The same concepts are there, but they're built off of they're built off of biblical principles that will actually sustain, as opposed to Jordan Peterson's. In the end, in the time where they're tried, right? That that picture of the flood from the Sermon on the Mount. When the flood comes, they'll wash away. And so the people that are desperate to hear people say this, maybe they should find people that are saying it based on Christian principles and not Christian truths without Christianity. I mean, especially where he's saying that he's getting the stuff from the Bible, where he's doing a series looking at Genesis or Exodus. I mean, that's particularly damaging because now he, you, your idea of what the Bible is saying is being shaped by someone who doesn't know what the Bible is saying. And his teaching is contrary to it. So he's, you can't expect to find some great insight into the scriptures that you wouldn't find in a commentary. You know, so, you know, I mean, secu- stuff that was p- purely secular is better than when he's trying to interpret the scripture. And I do think that there are times where he says things that that we should be arguing with the world and we don't have – the and he has knowledge that 
and useful things to say that help us argue with the world. But in the end, his philosophy is not a philosophy that leads to life. It leads to death. I know if you're watching the video and you're saying, I wish there was a Christian video on this or on this, leave us a comment. I mean, I'm not saying we're going to do a fantastic job at it. I'm not even saying that, that, we'll, that we may. It may be something we don't know enough about to speak to. But there's a part of it where we're looking for what should we be doing videos on. And if we somebody has a comment saying, I'd really like to see this addressed from a Christian point of view, we'd definitely consider it. Your question, should we stop listening to Jordan Peterson? And yeah, read the Puritan, sure. But I think what you ought to do is you need to find a church where if, if you've been listening to Jordan Peterson and he's been touching on your sins, maybe not calling them sins— probably not calling them sins, but he's touched on your sins, touched on your laziness as a man, and motivated you in particular ways. You need to go to a church that is going to do those kinds of things, but actually has the moral weight behind it that can that means something, that actually means something, where you're not trying to invent meaning out of the ether. You need to go to a church where a pastor is going to make you feel uncomfortable in the ways that you think that Jordan Peterson makes you feel uncomfortable. You need to get involved. I, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm saying Jordan Peterson things here. Get involved with people in the body of Christ who care about, who you. Care about <laughs> you and want the best for you. You know, go there. And if you're already in a church and that's not happening, then you need to take advantage of your pastor's counseling hours. And you need to say, hey, what do I do about this? And, you know, go there and, and get involved with the body of Christ to, to fill this void that you've been letting Jordan Peterson fill for you. Stop looking for Jordan Peterson to be Jordan Peterson. And the things that Jordan Peterson that is saying that are true, why aren't you saying those to brothers in the church? Instead of just saying, you know, <laughs> go find somebody that will say it to you, go be that person. That says, you know, the Bible says that we're warriors. So why are you sitting here doing nothing? I mean, these are things that that brothers in the church should be saying to one another, instead of just going. We have to hear from Jordan Peterson to say, hey, you should have a purpose in life. No, the Bible says it. Go say it to people in your church, and take the things that Jordan Peterson says. Find out what it says in Scripture. Find out the truth uh, that he's giving a shadow of or a. a, a a glimpse of find the truth and take it to other people in the church and let's let's let the church start to do what the church should be doing and it has to do it inside the doors before it can do it outside you know we did one recently on tulip and how about that's that's not calvinism that's not reformed thought reformed thought is god is the center of all things and jordan peterson is adamantly opposed to that and he takes scripture and twists it to make it all about man so if you're looking to him to interpret your scripture, his interpretation is rejecting the purpose for which God wrote the scriptures so that we can know our duty to God. And then from that, how that flows out to what our duty is to our neighbor. That's why God wrote the scriptures. And yet, if you eliminate God, you've just really eliminated the meaning of it. Right. You can still have the shadow of what you do to your neighbor, but you've eliminated the meaning because the meaning is to express our obligations to God. Jordan Peterson does not believe that the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, right? I mean, he does right. not believe that. He believes that— He you, would probably say that he does because he would make God the collective mankind. Right. But in the end, he does—right. But he does not believe it as Scripture teaches it. That is not the greatest commandment to him. Which ties to another thing that you have to be really careful with Jordan Peterson. I was looking today at some videos of him because he's talking about hell, 
and the tears are coming down, and these Christians are posting going, how can you say this? They quote D.L. Moody, who said, you know, if you don't speak of hell without tears in your eyes, and you're not a true Christian, they're going, how could he not be a Christian? Well, the way that he cannot be a Christian is you listen to the whole thing instead of just the little clip where he's crying about hell. Because he immediately said before he started crying about hell, he goes, I'm not talking about afterlife. I'm talking about you burn now. He doesn't, I mean, it's nothing to do with afterlife when he's using the term hell. He's saying, like, hell is going to the psychiatric ward. That's hell. And he's going, if you've never experienced hell, then you haven't actually lived a life. You've just sat in comfort all the time. And you need to go out there and experience hell in this life. You know, and so when you hear his terms, don't think he's using them in a biblical way. He twists terms all the time to make them say something that's completely contrary to Scripture, but they sound scriptural. It reminds me a lot of the, when we did the episode on Martin Luther King Jr., the view that he had of Christ and, you know, that it was just this truth, that it was just this idea, that it was just this thing on, on earth that could be – because in the end he denied the, the spiritual reality of it all, the, the eternal nature of it. I mean it's, it's a very, very similar thing in the way that he – even that they're articulated. And Jordan Peterson, even if we say from a humanistic standpoint, he has the best motives to help people. Right. He recognizes that he can get a better, bigger audience by taking Christian language and twisting it to mean something else so that he's using the same words you know, where it, he said before, what, be precise in your words. He's absolutely not precise in his words until somebody pins him down, and then he'll be precise in his words. Like he describes what he means by hell, and it has nothing to do with biblical hell. It has to do with the idea of somebody going, wow, I really had a terrible day. That's what he means by hell, not not eternal judgment. He's in a way like Simon the Sorcerer. You know what I mean? He, he saw, he sees it and says, I want this power. I want this. I want what this, you know what I mean? That he, right. And, and so he, he uses the language and there's lots of public figures that do this, that they use the Christian language because Christians are so badly educated in general in America. And I don't mean, I mean, educated scripturally. They don't understand how the scriptures tie together. They don't understand how to think about things, which is in rebellion to God because God commands us to think. And in rebellion to God, he can come along and he can fool them by using Christianized terms, and they don't even detect the fact that he means something totally different than what the Bible means by the term. And he does that quite a bit. So he has this book on 12 rules, and he has another book on 12 rules. Actually, you read those, and they seem even a little more mature than his first set. But there's one in there that he says that I think actually defines Jordan Peterson and, and the phenomena of Jordan Peterson, where he says that you should— recognize that opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated. And that's, that's, that's very much, I mean, I mean, Hey, it's a great principle. If you want to go start a business, look for, look for areas where responsibility has been abdicated, provide a service where people need a service. that's not being, and he's done that. Mm -hmm. He has, he recognized where, that there was an opportunity for him as a public figure, as an intellectual, to fill an intellectual space where responsibility has been abdicated, where it was abdicated by fathers, where it was abdicated by the church, where it was abdicated by the people who had the responsibility to speak truth. They weren't speaking truth, so he comes in with a form of truth. And and that's that's where he is, and, and that's our rebuke, is yep. that he found it. He found the chink. He found the giant gaping cavern of of responsibility 
that he said, hey, I can do this. And, you know, Joshua made a point earlier, and I, I recognize his point, which was, you know, hey, he was coming from their group so he can get the access and stuff. But that's just an excuse. The church has God. The church has the power to do these things. We have the power of the word of God. And so it's it's easy for us to look at Jordan Peterson and say he found a hole, but the church couldn't fill it. And it's really important to recognize. No, the church could have. It has in ages past. It's really wrong to say that it can't because in ages past, it definitely has. And it's not now. And we should recognize our culpability. So why isn't our podcast as popular as Jordan Peterson's? We should ask that question and figure out the answer. I think it's really easy to make an excuse and go, well, you know, he has the connections. He has, he's speaking from their language. He's not saying something that's offensive. But we have power on our side. But Ezekiel had power on his side. Noah had power on his side. The church actually has truth and power, which means the world can hate the church. And the church can speak truth. And because of the power of that truth, even though they hate the church— it will totally change the world. Even with their hatred of it, they can't deny the power of the words. And it will transform their culture. It will knock down their idols, and they can do nothing to stop it. Jeremiah was in a prison, and the king that was about to be sent to judgment by God through Nebuchadnezzar calls him up and says, tell me what's happening. He wasn't too thrilled with Jeremiah. He didn't go, oh, Jeremiah, you're my man. But yet he met with all the elders, he met with the kings, he met with, that's what I'm saying, is that it's not that Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, that they were popular with the kings. They weren't at all. Is there not but a they had God? a voice that people <laughs> listened to and were afraid of right. because they were speaking with the power of God. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So we talked about Jordan Peterson for a reason, not because we're saying Jordan Peterson's great, not that we're saying he's terrible. He's obviously a mixed bag. But from Jordan Peterson, we can really see where the church has failed to fulfill its responsibilities. And that comes down to each one of us. In what ways have you failed to shine forth the light of the gospel, shine forth the truth of God's word? So it's not some psychologist, but somebody that actually has the truth, is wielding the sword of God, because that is how the world changes. Let us be true salt and light so we don't just need the, the dim light of Jordan Peterson anymore. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.